Thank you, Deacon Narrow, for leading us at service. Allow me to pray. Lord, anoint my lips and let me speak your truth boldly and clearly, faithfully, and that your people may hear the words that you are, that you want them to hear, that they may obey and follow Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in the basic military training, there was an experience that uh, I had um, that I will never forget, that even today I still remember. As you know, uh, as a young 19-year-old um, boy, and also, uh, I would say boy, yes, and of course, um, young Christian then, um, I was going through a, quite a tough time, uh, was quite discouraged, feeling very lonely, Nobody care about me. My sergeant don't love me. Nobody loves me. I think I'm going to eat dirt. And so I was quite sad. And um, I remember this particular time, we were out of the camp. We were in the field training. And I was given the duty to collect uh, food from the cookhouse in the barracks. So I hopped onto the vehicle and we were traveling towards the camp itself. And I was still very miserable. And then we went there, and because we were early, we loaded up all the containers for the cookhouse ladies, usually the older lady, uh, elderly ladies, older ladies, to help to pack up the thing. And as, as I was waiting, I was looking at the corner of the canteen, very miserable, feeling so much pity for myself, you know, praying to God, I'm so miserable, so miserable. Then I heard this, pss, pss, and I turned around. And I saw this elderly lady, one of the ladies who is serving at the cookhouse, beckoning to me to come to her. So I thought that everything has, is already it's time to pack up and then bring into the vehicles and move off. But to my surprise, it was not. She beckoned to me to a corner and then she gave to me some sandwiches, peanut butter sandwiches. And I have no idea why. I mean, I was just standing like any other ordinary soldiers, like the rest, maybe dirtier with all my camouflage makeup, looking horrific. And yet she picked me out and she drew me and she gave me this. I was shocked, but at the same time, I was so deeply moved and encouraged um, by her gesture of love for me. Okay, I call it love, it sounds very loving to me. Eh? So anyway, when we, when we met back on the, on the truck again, I hid this underneath my uniform, and as the, I still remember, as the wind was blowing through my botak head, I remember how I was feeling so miserable, and I was praying the Lord to encourage me, and this is how he answered. And I was eating the, my bread slowly all by myself as tears was rolling down my eyes. Such a sad scene like that, but so thankful. Why I mention this is because God used someone, an elderly person, to encourage a young boy. Now, my main point of today's message is about how we ought to obey the command of our Lord Jesus Christ to make disciples of which the elderly must be included. We must obey the command of our Lord Jesus Christ to make disciples of which the elderly must be included. And so this message has three steps. The first is the foundation step about what is discipleship. And the next two steps has to do with the elderly, how we ought to relate to them, 
and how the elderly ought to relate to us. So could you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. This month, we are dealing with topical messages, so we will be moving, traversing along the scriptures uh, here and there quite a bit. This text will be the foundation of today's message. In chapter 8 of Matthew, verse 18, I read, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has been risen from the dead. This means he has been vindicated. He is the true God. And by God's absolute power and authority, Jesus has defeated death, sin, and Satan. But now Jesus is about to leave and to be with his Father. And so he leaves the rest of the work that he has begun in the hands of his 11 disciples. And now what is remarkable and astonishing is how he tells them to do this great work. The work that will change the world, make history, defeat powers and empires and kingdoms of the world is the work of discipleship. That's it. Nothing more. It is not complex or difficult to understand. And yet, this is a work that has been sorely neglected, forgotten and misunderstood by the church and Christians today. An example is many Christians, and I would believe including some of us here, would think that discipleship is optional or it is just a second step or path um, after we have come to know and believe in Jesus. So there is evangelism, we hear the gospel, we believe, and then we will decide whether we want to take the next step of discipleship. But the Bible does not separate it or gives us the liberty to choose discipleship. Evangelism and sharing of the gospel is part of discipleship. And all who say they believe in Jesus, from scriptures we see, all became disciples. And so, and I think this is paramount that we remember and we return to this work of discipleship that the Lord has left us with. Let us, let me give you a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor during World War II, and how he saw and observed that many of the German churches did not oppose and stand up against Hitler's and his ideology, and how, in fact, they acceded to him and encouraged others to follow suit and not defy him. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw it differently. He saw this was counter-scriptures and not being Christ-like. And so what came out of this was discipleship that he saw that the church had lost and how he was seeking to regain back this idea. And one of the things that he coined about discipleship was the word called cheap grace. So this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book called The Cost of Discipleship. 
Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without contrition. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And then he follows on a few paragraphs down that I want to read. Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. From Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his understanding through scriptures was to see that how discipleship is what it means to be Christ-like and to follow Christ. And you cannot not have discipleship for a Christian. So what is discipleship? When Jesus told his disciples to make disciples in verse 19, immediately the disciples knew what he was talking about. Discipleship in its core, irreducible idea is about following Jesus and following Jesus no matter what. And if we are to follow Jesus, it would mean that we are no longer following anything else, including ourselves. As the Lord said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, and I read, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in the three verses that we read from Matthew 28, verse um, 18 to 20, we are going to learn four important truths about this work of discipleship. So we are going to learn about what is in discipleship and what entails it. And these four important truths has to do with the idea called all. In fact, the word all is used the same way throughout these, four, uh, these passages. All authority, all nations, all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always. It's also the word all. The first one is all authority. This is important. Jesus has absolute authority in both heaven and earth. And in his absolute and sovereign authority, he is commanding you and me to make disciples. This means that no one can command and stop you from doing the work of making disciples because you have been commissioned by the highest authority that is above all authorities on this earth. So no, no matter which kingdom, which government, which regime, which authority tells you you cannot make disciples or cannot become Christians, you can refuse and deny it because the highest authority, which is from Christ, has commanded you to make disciples of all. And so you don't have to listen and obey. And because of the authority of Jesus, we can go in confidence that the Lord is sovereign and in control of all things when we do this work of discipleship. And if Jesus has placed his authority behind discipleship, should it not at least inform us how important discipleship is and how there is no reason we should not stop doing this, that we should be doing discipleship actively? Not only is there all authority, he talks about all nation in verse 18. All nation 
Sorry, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now in verse 19 and 20, which is one long sentence, the main verb, which means is the main action, the focus of that is making disciples. And so it is a command that only requires obedience, not an option or suggestion. And the other words, go, baptizing and teaching, are not the primary focus, but rather they draw their meaning from the idea of make disciples. So it means not go and make disciples, but rather wherever you are, make disciples. In your homes, make disciples. In your workplace, make disciples. In your play social area, make disciples. In church, make disciples. Wherever you are, make disciples. And so this is so important because often we think that making disciples is only, con only limited to a few people, maybe to even the pastors and teachers and not us and only to be done in church. But rather, here Jesus says very clearly, all authority is given to me, go wherever you are to make disciples. And when he says all nations, Jesus is making a very clear point that making disciples is we do it without any distinction or limitation, regardless of race, nationality, gender, or even to our application today, season of life, young and old. The, first, the fourth all is all that I've commanded you. How Jesus tells his disciples that they are to teach all that he has commanded them in verse 20. And what is one thing that points out here that is very clear as a command is baptism. The response of all who seek to follow Christ and are disciples of Jesus is baptism and learning and obeying what Christ has commanded. And so if Christ has commanded that baptism is to be part of that obedience as disciples, then we who say who follow Christ ought to seek baptism. Baptism is not an option or a suggestion. It is a command to be obeyed for us who follow Christ. It is an expected response for all who are in this new birth and creation of Jesus Christ. You see, you desire to be identified with Jesus as Saviour and you desire to be committed to Him through baptism because He desires to be identified with you. He will not be ashamed of you and He is committed to you in this relationship. So it is all the more natural to be expected that we reciprocate this commitment and desire to be baptised to Him. And discipleship is all about a determining desire to learn all there is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus clearly stated when he told his disciples that I want you to teach others about me. And so we know here that discipleship is not just only about learning and following Jesus, but learning and following Jesus through the means of another disciple of Jesus. You can't be a disciple by yourself and on your own. You need someone to disciple you. And so my question to you right now, is someone discipling you? Is someone discipling you, helping you in your journey to follow Christ? And for those of us who are more mature Christians, the question is, are you discipling someone wherever you are? Because this is a clear command that Christ has given to us. 
I think one of our struggles, especially in our local context, especially in our church, is that I fear that when we call ourselves a discipleship group, we would automatically think that we are being discipled. We could very well be, but a name or joining a group does not necessarily mean that we are being discipled. Because a discipleship that is defined by Christ is one that is in the crux, in the context of a relationship of someone who is willing to invest his life and time into you. And you are willing to allow your life to be taught by this person, to be held accountable, and to learn, and maybe even to be rebuked, if at all, if there are areas of sins in your life. Discipleship is not about a superficial relationship or just about coming to church. It's about two lives coming together, being open and transparent, as Christ was with his disciples. And so that's why I think it is important for us to examine to ourselves and ask ourselves this question, are we being discipled and are we discipling others? The last point about the all, but now in the form of always, and how Christ said in verse 20, and behold, I am with you always, which is also the same word all. Even though we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is with us, yet this promise in verse 20 is not a general statement of promise of his presence with us, but rather it is a specific and certain promise that he will be with us whenever we do this work of discipleship. Why? Because discipleship is all about learning and following the Lord Jesus Christ. And it totally makes sense that in doing that, that Jesus is there in the process throughout. And so he is there in the center of the discipleship making. And so even though the disciples were asked and commanded to make disciples, they are not left alone to do it all by themselves. Jesus is in the midst of the process. His presence is there. He will guide. He will teach. And we know later in the book of Acts how it will be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if discipleship is about knowing and following Christ and to be with Him, which every disciple would want to be, wouldn't you want to be there too, where Jesus is? And we know very clearly here that the discipleship process is where exactly where he will be. So this is what discipleship is about. And so how can we apply to our context right now today for our message regards to the elderly? And this brings to this. I think it is critically important for us as a church to understand this and to apply deliberately to the elderly. Why? Because in 12 years' time, 12 years, one-third of the population will be over 65 and above. That is according to statisticians and researchers. Can you imagine, in 12 years' time, one-third of our congregation in ARPC will be 65 and above. And it will be a tragedy for us to neglect and to forget the elderly, whereby scriptures tells us they have so much to offer and to give to the body of Christ. And so we need to know how to apply discipleship to this group of people who are valuable in the eyes of God. And so it is important and imperative that we obey the command to make disciples. And this leads me to the second point, making disciples include 
the elderly. Making disciples include the elderly. As mentioned earlier, sharing the gospel and evangelism is part of discipleship making. It's not a separate thing. And so because Jesus said that all authority has been given to him and he tells his disciples to make disciples of all nations, which means all people, we shouldn't be making a distinction among ourselves, young or old. Yet in many ways, as what Deacon Arrow highlighted in his prayer, the world and its values are constantly infecting and influencing our minds and pressurizing us to make distinction and even to discriminate others. And one group of people that is neglected and forgotten as the world moves on and progresses rapidly are the elderly. You know, for us, some of us, I'll include myself, younger people, it seemed a far away, but let me tell you, if the Lord blesses you with long life, one day it will be your turn too. And so it is relevant to you. And this is clearly seen as the world moves towards a digital age and technologically dependent society. When was the last time you heard of a cutting-edge technology or a presentation of the latest device that was developed and built primarily for the elderly? The latest gadgets, devices, technology and platforms are all the time, if not most of the time, aimed at the younger and middle generations. Why? Because the world does not think of the elderly well. They do not see their worth because they can't think or move or learn as fast as the younger ones or they are not as healthy or as strong as they were before and their value, their income generating worth also has been reduced. And if we are God's people and disciples of Jesus, if we are not careful, we too can end up seeing the elderly as worthless and forgetting them too as we do our ministry, our fellowship, and our programs. But God does not forget them. Does, but God does not see them any worthless or valueless. In fact, God views the elderly with such tenderness, goodness, and worth. As you read the several Bible passages earlier in the responsive reading, you saw for yourself how precious and valuable are their elderly and the old to the Lord. There is one passage that I would like to look for us to see how important it is for us not to forget the elderly, but to care and to provide for them, that we might disciple them to know and follow Jesus, especially if they do not know Christ. It is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. As mentioned earlier, the main point of this is how making disciples include the elderly. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is instructing Timothy, the younger pastor, how to lead to various groups of people in the church and what to teach them. And this particular occasion, there was an issue that Paul needed to address and had concerns with the elderly men and women of the church, particularly the widows. And the main verse I want to focus on is verse 8. Let me read. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In context, Paul is referring to the parents, the older ones, 
How do we know this? It's because in verse 1, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Verse 2, older men as women. Verse 3, honour widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them, them being the children or grandchildren, first learn to show godliness to their own household, meaning to their parents or grandparents, and to make return and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So what was happening here is that for some reason, the Christians in Ephesus were neglecting the parents or grandparents. Now what Paul is teaching here or reminding is not extraordinary because in the Jewish culture and society in those days, they had very strong family communal relationship that emphasized about a family connection and how to take care of one another. And so it is most natural for them to continue to, to look after their parents or grandparents. Yet for these Christians in Ephesus, it was not so. And it is very possibly there are two reasons. One is, if the parents or grandparents were Christians, these earlier Christians felt that the church, who was now the new family in God, was now primarily responsible in looking after them. And so they kind of par them off to look after them and not themselves. And so Paul says, no, you as Christian children, you are still responsible for your parents. Look after them. Another possibility is that if the parents are not Christians, then these Christians felt they needed to be separated. And because they're not Christians, their parents are not Christians, or grandparents are not Christians, they ought to be away and not be, uh, they're not obliged to look after them. And Paul says again, no, you are still primarily responsible for them. And so Paul warns them, because if you do not do so, he gives a very stern warning. To not to neglect and not care for your parents or grandparents would mean to deny your faith. Verse 8. What does it mean to deny faith? It means that you are not living your life that is consistent to the faith that you say you have in God. This is not faith. This is contrary to faith. You are not following and obeying the steps and life of faith. Not only that, he adds on, and you are worse than an unbeliever. How is this Christian worse than an unbeliever? An unbeliever, even though he does not know or he acknowledges the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God and the one who has all truth and does not obey his commands, yet he knows innately, dutifully, he is still responsible in looking after his parents, if not grandparents. And how an unbeliever behaves far closer to what a believer ought to be in doing so than a believer who does not take care of his parents and grandparents. And so Paul is very, very clear here that how as a church, as Christians, we should never neglect and not provide for our parents or grandparents regardless whether they are Christians or not. One of the ways in which I learned to honour and to provide for my parents was to include them as part of my marriage, uh, part of my plans in marriage. And this is something that I also share with the couples uh, during marriage counselling retreat or marriage counselling. Before I was married, my parents were living with me. And at the time, my father was not a Christian, but my mother was. In fact, many times during the 20 years, my 
My siblings and I will constantly try to share the gospel with my father and tried and brought him to church several times. And then he will ask questions, but we always end up arguing and fighting and everybody's hot in the collar, upset. And my father always feels very victorious because he was not convinced that Jesus is uh, the, the Lord and God and he's right not to believe in Jesus. And often uh, he always showed he's very stubborn and at times we were very discouraged. And I must say in shame that and lack of faith that I really didn't think that my father would come to believe in the Lord. But one day, um, some, about uh, one season of life, something changed, and I still loved my father. I was planning to get married, and I still wanted my parents to live with me when I got married. So I shared my thoughts with uh, my wife, Zihui, and she was very gracious and understanding and welcomed my parents to live with us. So we started to look for a place to accommodate my parents and hopefully one day God would bless me with children, uh, more space for, my children, for the children too. But during this time when I was looking for a place, uh, my father's health deteriorated rapidly to the point whereby he was unable to look after himself and was bedridden. And so when we finally found a place, I made sure that part of the renovation would accommodate for my father's um, condition. I made sure that the room that he had was big enough and suitable enough that we could put a hospital bed inside with all the other um, um, facilities and treatment that he needed. At the same time, I also kind of made sure that I found a place that the toilet could be rebuilt so that the, the wheelchair could be wheeled in easily uh, with a slope and the door was wide enough so that I could bathe him. This was my part of wanting to honour and to love my father and my mother in the future if she needed. And during the time that my father was bedridden, um, I, I had the most, one, one of the most humbling, if not the most humbling experience of my life um, was to uh, bathe my father together with the helper. Um, it was heartbreaking and difficult because my father has been very fit he was still going to the gym until he was 70 and he was fit and healthy uh, except that he liked to smoke a lot but nevertheless uh, never saw my father in such a state that he was unable to take care of himself and so every day I would go to um, uh, to get him ready my, the, with the helper to undress him um, to bathe him and to clean him up and to put on the adult diapers and to dress him up and get him ready for sleep. And I remember the, uh, the palliative care doctor was showing us how uh, bathing clean was important for him to feel and experience, um, to feel comfortable. And that's what I wanted to do. And why was it so humbling? Because um, not only was my father unable to look after himself and that I needed to bathe him, um, it, it, it was such a sorry to see that um, and uh, my heart was broken but I still found it it was a privilege for me to look after him that way and by God's grace uh, even though he was bedridden he was still of a sound mind and lucid and my siblings and I continued to share the gospel with him and pray with him and truly God's mercy he accepted uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know what? He wanted to be baptized out of his own natural compulsion. 
in wanting to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was baptized in September 2013, but he passed away quickly in November 2013. And even though my father passed away and I was really, really sad, but I remember that the day when he, at the, at the funeral, the joy of his salvation far exceeded the sorrow of his passing. And so I was very thankful and joyful for my father that he came to know the Lord Jesus. Now I share with you this personal story, not because to focus on myself, but rather to encourage you what you can do to look after your aged parents today, if not one day. And you can do far more than I could ever have ever done. Because our family, our parents, our grandparents need us. I have no idea what is your family situation is like. Maybe it is difficult. Maybe it is indeed very challenging. For some of us, like me, it was easy and not difficult to look after and to love my father, even though it was inconvenient and and, and hard. But for some of us here who may not have the same affections to our parents and grandparents, if not for the love of them, then for the faith and love for the Lord Jesus Christ ought to compel you to be a good disciple to care and provide for your parents and grandparents. And you never know how, by caring and providing for them in such a way, that they see the love of God in you, through you, and may come to faith in Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is what it can mean to disciple the elderly. One of the things that I did in my previous church as a pastor was we got to go to old folks' home and visit um, many of the elderly who are actually fit independent, but for whatever reason, they were living all on their own. And I know and I remember how they always look forward to us coming to visit them. They are so happy because when we don't come, they are always very lonely and sometimes their own children don't visit them at all and they are left there all by themselves. It's a heartbreaking sight. I'm, I'm not there to judge because I have no idea the circumstances, but I... I beseech you from the word of God, if it is possible in your means, if it's possible, look after your parents in the way that pleases the Lord. Look after your parents and provide for them that honors your faith and reflects your faith and the love for the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience of what it means to be a disciple. Before I end this point, I want to draw you to John chapter 19, verse 25 to, 29, uh, 25 to 27. Could you turn to John 19, verse 25 to 27? This is to for you to consider the actions of our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot imagine the excruciating pain and torment of Jesus, what he was experiencing as he hung on the cross. Yet, despite all the suffering, Jesus was still thinking of his earthly mother, Mary. John 19, verse 25, allow me to read. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Knowing that he was going to die and unable to look after his mother, in those very few words, Jesus ensured that his mother, Mary, would be provided and cared for and entrusted his disciple, John, to fulfill his role as son. How about us? Would you also follow the Lord to care and provide for your parents as well? Therefore, we, do not, we ought not to neglect or fail to provide for our parents so that they might see the gospel of Jesus in us. And this leads us to the last point. How we can relate, how the previous point was about relating to the elderly. The last point is about how the elderly among us can relate to us. And I'll leave it to you to decide whether you are the elderly or not, okay? But if you are not elderly yet, one day you'll be the elderly too. The elderly can become life-changing disciple-makers. That is the last point. The elderly can be life-changing disciple-makers. Even though this point is meant to be addressed primarily to the elderly, yet it is also important for the younger ones to listen. Do you know one of the greatest needs and desires of the younger generations are mentors? The younger generation do not lack knowledge or content. They do not lack ideas, creativity, or even visions of their own lives. They are driven and ambition. But the one thing that they lack, that they cannot obtain, like downloading an app as easily or listening to a podcast or an audiobook, is having another person, usually older, who believes in them and would invest their time and energy into their lives. You see, no matter what we have an advancement in technology, it can never replace another person. They need someone to guide and mentor them, to challenge and push them, to go beyond what they think they can only do, yet at the same time, to hold them accountable for their actions and decisions and stop them if necessary if they are going to make a bad decision that will affect the rest of their lives. The younger generation, despite their tech-savviness, widespread knowledge, even possibly wide exposure to life and other parts of the world and culture through travel and friends, still lack experience and wisdom that the older generation possess. Because it costs them. It costs them mistakes, failures, blood, time, and the younger generation know and desire for it. Yet the word of the Lord teaches us that teaches us about discipleship is more than just mere mentorship that the world thinks. It is about placing one's life under the hand of another who is more mature and wiser disciple so that they may follow after Christ. And the passage that I want to focus for this point is what we was the Bible reading from Titus chapter 2, specifically verses 1 to 5. Could you turn with me to Titus chapter 2? 
And then we will end. In Titus chapter 2, Paul was addressing to a younger pastor, again, like Timothy, called Titus. And at the same time, you can see that he was addressing to the older generation and how um, they were important. But unlike in Timothy's time, he was not addressing an issue, but rather exhorting and encouraging the older generation how they ought to behave and live their lives and how they can serve the younger ones. So let us take a look at verse 1, chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And include the older women, likewise are to be. The idea of likewise means that all that was stated earlier to the older men applies to them. And now, inclusive, including this also, to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, not just only to an end for themselves, but to pass on to the next generation, to teach what is good, to train the younger women to love their husband and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. You see, Paul was not just encouraging and, and, and exalting the older generation to live lives that is exemplary and in character, but it is through this experience, through this proven character and track record that they are going to make impact to the younger generation. Discipleship is not just mere content transfer or just engaging of the mind. It is the it is the impact of the lives that you, are do, that you are offering to the one that you're discipling. Because the disciple is not merely just listening and learning what you have to say to us, but the younger ones are observing and learning, hopefully positively, on the things that are not said about you by the conduct of your life the decisions that you make, the reactions that you give, the humility that you display. These things cannot be taught, but rather caught and can only be caught in the exchange of a relationship in life between a discipler and a disciple. And that is exactly what Paul was looking at for the older generation to the younger one. And if the older generation understand this, then they can make significant impact and change in the lives on the younger generation. And it is something that is a challenge for the older ones to show us. It is an opportunity for you to show us what does it mean to live faithfully? What does it mean to to endure in your Christian faith and to finish well in your race of faith to the Lord. And what greater way can the older generation leave a legacy than a legacy in the lives, of the, the lives that they have impacted and changed in the discipleship relationship? There is no greater legacy than that, not in monuments or in buildings or in programs or in books, but it's in the lives that they impact. Billy Graham once said that the greatest legacy that one can pass to one's children and grandchildren is not money 
or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. You can show us how, not just to how it means what it means to live a life, but how it means to end the life well too. What it means to endure faith and to stay faithful, not just in faith, but even if you are married to your spouses. Because it is a great tragedy if you have been keeping up with the news in the times, especially in, in America, how many, many pastors and Christian leaders at the end season of the lives whereby they should be living exemplary lives, impacting the younger generation, showing us to be models, are in fact falling in grace, being unfaithful, getting involved in sexual immoralities, and they no longer are a legacy but a lesson to the younger generation. And for us here, you don't have to be a big name or a well-known name. Just by living a life that is exemplary in faithfulness and endurance is an impact to the younger generation that we would desire and to follow suit. I end with this illustration. When I went to the US to study, during my first term, one thing that I was very deliberate and I prayed very hard for to the Lord was to help me to find a mentor. I knew it was something that I desperately needed. My three years of formation was not just in terms of getting theological knowledge and understanding of Greek or Hebrew, but I needed someone to impact and change my life to follow after Christ. And God answered that prayer. I, was, I found a, a church, it was only about 200 strong, and there was this Caucasian man, elderly man, 60 over years old. His name is Lee Eckloff. The word Lee is really some of our surname, Lee, but it's his first name, so we call him Lee. And Pastor Eckloff uh, was very, very gracious to take me in to mentor me. Uh, this young Chinese boy, not boy, like man from uh, Singapore. And he spent time with me he, sh he shared his life with me. He listened to me. He guided me. He heard my, 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 my dreams, my thoughts, my fears. At the same time, too, he also shared his views and his thoughts and his, um, and his ideas with me. But what was most impactful about Lee was the last nine months uh, before I came back to Singapore. He had, he had been serving as senior pastor for the last 20 over years in that church. And the church has grown tremendously. He has also, uh, a lot of my professors uh, in the seminary attended that church. And he has achieved great things that I think a lot of pastors would actually uh, envy in some ways. He has, wrote, uh, he has written two uh, very popular and award-winning books. He, even though he doesn't have a doctorate, uh, not a doctor or a PhD level, but he had the opportunity to teach in the seminary itself. So he was not just only a pastor, senior pastor of a church, he was a writer, successful writer. He even taught in seminaries itself with the other professors. But the last nine months showed me something about Lee that, gave, that made an indelible mark in me that is a legacy to me, that even one day when he goes home to be with the Lord, will live with me and stay with me. Nine months before I left, Lee announced that he was going to retire. He was still doing very well. There was nothing to indicate um, that the congregation was unhappy with him or the elders, but he felt it was time. And he shared with me during those 
vulnerable and challenging moments why he made that decision and he shared with me. He told me that he feels that now it's time for him to go. He has already led the church faithfully for 20 years and now the church needs a younger man to lead to the next level. A younger, younger pastor needs to succeed over him. Do you know that it, not everyone who serves God, not every pastor can say that? That he feels that now it's time for him to prepare the path for the next younger pastor to lead to succeed him because he's unable to lead the church beyond the next level. I saw humility that I could never learn from books. I saw it because that life was open to me. And he showed me not only humility that I could never learn from books, but he also showed me that how the work of God that the church of God was greater than even him as senior pastor. He is just one, but many others that God will use to build his church. And he is ready to be ready for the next stage or season of his life. And because of that, I learned something so important that even as a young man for me, learning, I was learning valuable lessons that only an older and a more mature and wiser um, pastor could teach me about how humility is to be shown in that way and yet at the same time to know that even as I start young, one day I will also have to go through that. And I hope one day when I also, in time to move on to the next stage of my life, I will be able to do so in dignity and in humility. And this was also an amazing way for me, for him to show me that even though he was an older man, it was not yet time for him to end. He was still growing. He was growing in humility. He was growing to become more Christ-like than ever before. And so that's what the elderly generation and those of you who are elderly can do. You can leave us a legacy that will make a lasting impact that will continue even one day when you're not around because you have shown us what it means to endure, what it means to stay faithful to God and if you're married, faithful to your marriage and to finish well for Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share and to teach your word to my brother and sisters here. And I pray that they have heard not just my voice but you speaking to them the importance of obeying the command to make disciples and to be disciple, and how the elderly have so much to offer that we should never neglect them and forget them and to reach out to them and for us to learn from them that we might grow to become more Christ-like in ways that we could never imagine without them. May we as a church never, never neglect the elderly. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.